they're talking about people in these basically like hazmat suits, like like spraying orange powder onto tacos, and and it was just this image I couldn't get out of my head, and I and I really wanted to uh, write a piece about it. So that's 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 where that piece came from. Hello and welcome to Underscore, where we explore the innovative music of artists who create beyond the boundaries of classical. I'm Thomas. I'm Prasanthi. And this is the classically trained, but genre omnivorous, musical world we live in we want to share with you. Each week, a new guest pulls us into their orbit to explore their creative process, their music, and their story. We dig into their inspirations, habits, and how they function as artists living in the 21st century. Then, at the end, Thomas and I leave you with Old, New, Borrowed, and Blue, our current musical obsessions for you to check out. Today, we are thrilled to introduce you to composer, accordionist, and electronic musician, Isaac Shankler. Isaac's music is delightful, heartfelt, and honestly really funny sometimes. It's described by publications and reviewers as powerful, delightful, ingenious, masterfully composed, and my favorite, the antidote to sentimentality. Isaac has written for all kinds of projects, from percussion groups to string quartets, singers, flautists, messed up pianos, and even techno pop video games. Their music is highly sought out, winning honors from Meet the Composer, the National Opera Association, and the American Composers Forum, and more. On top of all that, Isaac is an award-winning writer and researcher whose pieces have been published and presented internationally. We're going to try something a little bit fun this episode. Isaac has brought their accordion and a collection of their goofy baby songs into the studio. Yes, these are songs they composed about the true baby experience, and the three of us are going to jam out a little bit. We'll just sprinkle a few of these into the interview anytime there's uh, an awkward silence. What you're hearing right now, though, is not a goofy baby song. This is Alien Warp Etude, composed by Isaac Shankler and performed by Aaron Calais. Hey Isaac, I hope you don't mind us playing your Alien Warp Etude right off the bat. Couldn't help it. I'm sure you're sick of hearing about it because it got really popular on Spotify several years ago. Yeah, that was a that was a surprise to me. It it, it just showed up on uh, on, on a playlist, and the, the pianist Darren Calais was like, "This is getting like thousands of plays for some reason." And it took us a while to figure out why that was, but um, but yeah, it showed up on some uh, you know like between like. Nico Muley and it was Lang on, or something. It was on Spotify's official, I think, indie classical. Right, you and playlist. that that name, yeah, yeah. And I know, I know, yeah. We can. <laughs> That's the first time I heard your music was on that playlist. Oh no kidding! I was like, oh, Spotify did an indie classical playlist. Let's see what damage was done here. Then I actually really loved it. That's great. Yeah, no, I think a lot of people had a similar experience. Like heard my music at first on that and kind of brought it to their attention. So that was cool. Can you explain what is happening in that piece? Like for a very lay, like for yeah. us to understand. Yeah, I can I can try. Yeah. So it's a microtonal piece. Uh, this this pianist, Darren Kelly, specializes in, in microtonal music. And, um, Just meaning, the notes between the notes. notes the notes between the, the notes, notes. Is, is a really good way to describe it. And I was trying to come up with a way to... Um, so a lot of classical music modulates, right? It moves from one key to another and that's an exciting thing it's an exciting kind of change but when you when you retune any everything it, it gets really hard to uh, to do that because it, it really like kind of like locks you in in one key or one kind of uh, mode 
so this this piece actually has kind of like two different microtonal scales kind of superimposed on one another so that you can kind of sneak your way uh, from one into the other. And Is it based on a Chopin piece? It's vaguely inspired by a Chopin okay. uh, piece called that's often called the Aeolian Harp Etude. Mm. So, um, oh, Aeolian. Aeolian, oh. yes. Um, which is a particular... And yours is called Alien word. Alien. Yeah. Oh, okay. Love it. So when we are hearing that melting sensation, it's this shifting between the two microtonal scales. Exactly. It's also your face literally melting. Yeah. I'm melting! And the thing I really like about that piece is that even if you have no idea what anything we just said means, you can still <laughs> listen to it, know something is quote-unquote off, but it still get that melty sensation and feel like you're experiencing like it's enjoyable even if you don't understand what's happening that's great yeah yeah i, w- I want it to be you know audible <laughs> it, it really is each of the pieces on your website at least are such unique concepts and very like different concepts do you have a way of coming up with ideas like how do you do that the method yeah. oh gosh like you have one that's um Inspired by what the Doritos? Yeah, uh, the Doritos Locos Taco. Yes. Um, yeah, well, I I'm really interested in in text in general, um, not just um, song text, but speech. So that was that was one where it was literally an interview with uh, with I forget I forget who it was, but someone who was instrumental in the creation of the Dorito Taco Bell thing. And I just read this text and was like, this is wild. You know, they're talking about people in these basically like hazmat suits, like like spraying orange powder onto tacos. And and it was just this image I couldn't get out of my head. And I, and I really wanted to uh, write a piece about it. So that's 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 where that piece came from called Mouthfeel. So I think, yeah, I think it's different for every piece. Like, I'm, I'm not the kind of composer who, like, kind of, like, has this one thing and then um, kind of iterates on that. I, for maybe it's like an attention span thing. I'm always kind of, like, interested in different styles and different, um, you know, different different inspirations for, for different music and different musical settings. You know, that's that's one of the things I think that keeps me keeps me interested. Yeah. And like A plus for the names that you pick for your piece, for your pieces. <laughs> Sad trombone. Definitely. Yes, you are a great yep. titler. Thank you. I want to know, how did you start composing? You're a young musician and something changed that made you want to write. Yeah, that's interesting. I I think it's kind of like two things. It's kind of like one is I liked practicing, but I was also kind of like easily distracted. And I would so I would kind of like see if I could like improvise in a way that no one could tell that I wasn't practicing. And, And that sort of like led into composing. Some of it was through the computer, though. Um, even you know, even from that age, I remember my family had like an Apple IIgs. If anyone has ever sounds old, it's it's pretty I've it's pretty old. But you could do some cool. The, the GS stands for graphics and sound, because because uh, it had like you know these extra you know cool sound abilities at the time, and there was a a program. I'm trying to remember what it was called, like Music Score Editor or something, where you could kind of like. A very early notation program, and you could 
write stuff in and it would play it back for you in these really terrible samples. It actually hasn't advanced that much, come to think of it, since that time in terms of um, some of the sample quality. But, you know, I remember I would write things with like these like, you know, like the cheesy like choir samples, like the sort of like, oh, 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 you know, like those those sorts of things and, uh, and had a good time doing that. So even, even from that age, I was kind of interested in computery stuff with music. Were there any artists you were particularly inspired by at a young age or even now? Like, who do you like to listen to? Well, I, I was really into like just like synth stuff, even at that age. I mean, if you want to get like super cheesy, like... Yes. Like I liked Yanni. Like wow. I liked Yanni. I, I'm just throwing Yas that out to there. Yanni for you. Yeah. Yanni was the first <laughs> concert I went to as a kid. Okay, awesome. to Yanni? I think just the synths. Yeah, it's just like these, Straight synth. these sort of like, yeah, just like these super cheesy synths, like like anything that had like a, a synth on it. Also, like, um, I remember being really into like the like super synthy, like jazz fusion era of, of like Chick Corea, like the Return to Forever stuff. Some of that, some of that I didn't like so much, but some of that like, you know, super synthy, you know, basically when everyone was playing guitars, was into that kind of vibe and then like but then like classical music I, I like love Chopin and I love like basically like anything that was like super like hard on sleeve like melancholy or super expressive um your like romantic Chopin. that romantic yeah. piano stuff yeah yeah it was like this romantic piano stuff and then I tried to to hide it all with this technology stuff obscure it so no one no one could tell that you were that yeah. you were an emotional creature exactly that you were an artist like no i'm i'm this is objective this is <laughs> yes. rigorous i'm not an artist i'm a scientist exactly and as we mentioned you are an accordionist yes is that said correctly this time accordionist accordionist yeah um how did you start on the accordion you know i was i was actually playing a in a klezmer band and um Klezmer is like this Eastern European uh, traditional Jewish style of music. And um, a friend of mine, uh, Brian Pardo, who was not actually Jewish, but was really interested in klezmer, klezmer music, um, started this band and I uh, joined this band and was playing piano at first. And then it was kind of like, if I'm in this band, I really should learn the accordion. I really should know how to play the accordion. And so I remember I did a trade. I had a trade with um, a friend of mine who was a trombonist and needed a trombone and I had one from like high school, and so we did like a trombone accordion trade. Uh, I got I got like his accordion that was like his grandfather's accordion on like semi permanent loan, um, and just kind of picked it up that way. And then found that it was just like a really fun instrument. And what I love about the instrument is that it's sort of this chameleon that kind of like can fit into a lot of different. Um, I mean, it has a very characteristic sound, but it can fit into a lot of different genres and a lot of different styles. Um, there are so many different kinds of folk music around the world that employ the accordion, and it's a great new music instrument um, because it ha you can you know, it sometimes has this very sort of like otherworldly sound, and it blends really well with electronics. Yeah, it's it's a it's a really lovely instrument. I love the sound of the accordion more so now than I did as a kid, and especially when I hear you play it, it's yeah. 
it's really, it's really, really beautiful. Sounds like an oh, organ, awesome. but it mini does. organ, but yes. big still. Yeah, it's actually funny. We, um, Daniel Corral, another fine accordionist and composer, um, has a group called Free Read Conspiracy. And one of the pieces that we did was actually originally an organ piece. It was originally, um, it was Four Organs by Steve Reich. We did an organ arrange, uh, accordion arrangement of that piece. And, and it works, yeah, it works really well on that. There's some things you have to rearrange for the, the fingers, but but it sounds really good on the accordion. That's cool, I didn't know that. Yeah. How do you make yourself write or practice when you just really don't feel like it? Well, right now I'm in a special situation where I have a six month old kid. So like now I'm like really excited anytime I have time to compose, I'm like, yay. I'm also like, yay, when I get to spend time with the baby. But something something about that, uh, the the time management there is is obviously can be very challenging. But I think I'm just motivated to compose at this point in my life. It, it wasn't always that way. Um, it wasn't always easy. I think I think there are ebbs and flows for everybody. I, I wish that the classical music, new music world allowed for a little more room for this kind of ebb and flow because I think everyone experiences it. But there's all this. There's a lot of pressure, external pressure, to be kind of constantly producing. That's so true. This is actually a great time for us to take a break and play a goofy baby song. Can yes. you introduce your goofy baby songs? Like, what inspired them? I'm, I'm assuming it is your six-month-old. Yes. <laughs> well, I mean, yeah, speaking of, like, intrinsic desire to compose, um, you know, in, in the first few months of having a baby, it's really limited what you what you can do if you're an involved parent. Um, and a lot of the time you are just holding the baby. And that's something that takes at least one hand. And you want to talk to the baby, but it's, it's hard to talk to the baby sometimes. It's hard to come up with stuff to say to the baby. So you start singing to the baby and then you get bored of the, the songs you know. And so you start making up songs and it just kind of comes. They just kind of came out of that. It was just kind of a way to almost like entertain myself while I was while I was doing this stuff. And then eventually I got to the point, you know, the songs, I sing them over and over, they, they change, they develop. And then after a while, I was like, I should write these down. I should like do something with these. And so I started to post them to social media, um, hashtag, hashtag honest baby songs. And then people really responded to them. It's, it's funny, like, it's funny, like I never get feedback on most of my music. But this is something everyone wanted to give me feedback on. <laughs> this is like, oh, you know, you, you should change this note at the end or like, you know, this melody really should be more adventurous or something like that. It's funny, like I never get like constructive criticism on like anything else I've written, you know, like spontaneously like that. But everyone felt like the need to like to like say something, which was which is great. Like I like that sort of like feedback. And I actually did change one or two of them in response to the feedback, actually. So now we're dying to, to play one. Let's start out with Baby is Bigger. One, two, three. Baby is always eating more and more. Baby is bigger than he was before. Baby is getting bigger every day. Listen to what the baby has to say. Baby is bigger than the universe. Baby is better, universe is worse. Baby is the right way, universe is wrong. Baby demands an ending to this song. I want to talk about It's Not Eero. Actually, let's play a clip of that. 
That is such a fun one. What did you compose that for? So that was that was uh, wearing my video game composer hat. Uh, one of the other things I do is is compose music um, and do sound for independent video games. This was for a particular game called Hate Plus. The lead designer on that game, uh, her name is Christine Love. All of her games are really great. You should check out her stuff. It's a pretty big game, at least in the gaming world. Yeah, it sort of had a, you know, it's like it definitely had like a cult following and um, and I got a lot of uh, great responses to the song. Um, so the song, the inspiration for the song was like, so it's actually a sequel to a game called Analog, a hate story. So when Hate Plus rolled around, Christine had this idea to do like a theme song. And I was like, oh man, that's that's so great. And so we actually collaborated on the lyrics. We sort of did a few passes kind of back and forth. Um, and that was a fun process. Um, I wish there was more opportunity to do, to do that kind of thing because, you know, if you're like setting a poem or something, you don't get to change the words to the poem really. But um, this we could actually like go back and forth and refine the words. And so the song is about sort of the main character of the first game who has a sort of or can have a sort of like romance with the player character. But she also has this sort of dark past that you find out over the course of the game. Uh, this song is like this cheery pop song that this character is singing to you, but then there are like these sort of hidden references if you listen to the song of like all these awful, terrible things that happen. So there's this sort of darkness hidden in the song, even though it's like this cheery kind of K-pop style song. I had no idea that it had any dark aspect. Okay, that's that's cool. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So you should you should play now. both games to get the full context. Analog oh. a hate story and then hate plus. And what then... um what system is it for? Or uh, it's for PC and Mac, like any. Okay. That's maybe Linux, too. Okay. Wow, Linux. Thing. DOS, so, so check these out. <laughs> we'll write these in the show notes for our gamer listeners. Yeah. So the other hat you wear, you are a pedagogue at Cal Poly Pomona. Yes. My question would be, what is your philosophy on teaching? And also, if you have to give advice to young artists out in the world, what would it be? Oh, man. I mean, it's such a tough time for, for young artists right, right out there right now. I feel, um, I feel this acutely with my students who are graduating right now. Yeah, I would say my approach is, and our approach at Cal Poly Pomona is, we want them to have a really well-rounded education, what I would call maybe a stylistically agnostic um, education. Um, What does that mean? To me, that means a lot of different, exposure to a lot of different styles and kind of understanding what makes them tick. Um, We have a ton of different ensembles at Cal Poly Pomona, for example, a mariachi ensemble. We have a jazz, a jazz ensemble. You know, we have wind band. We have orchestra. We have. Um, I direct something called uh, the MIDI ensemble, which is like a music technology ensemble. You know, I think I think the thing is you want them to be f- as flexible as possible. And this was the advice I give: would be to be as flexible as possible musically, so that you can um, be comfortable in various musical contexts and. Also, maybe create something that's that's uniquely yours, that's um, your unique voice that, that other people um, will identify with you. I think that's important, too. In addition to that, I think some, I won't call it like entrepreneurship, because that's a weird word, but some knowledge of like the business side of things and, you know, just just functioning as a person in the world is something that's maybe neglected. In, in musical education, and, and so that's a big por- important part of 
um, of what we do there as well. We have a music industry degree that's kind of more focused on that side of things as well as music performance and all these other things. Gotcha. So that's be flexible, create something uniquely yours, embrace sort of a, a few business skills. Be savvy. Three, to be savvy. Three main things. Oh, wait. I want to add one more thing. Okay. Yeah. Everyone should know a little bit about technology and Ooh. how that works. Ooh, you don't okay. necessarily have to be like an expert, but you should be able to like record yourself, for example. Yeah. Okay. Um, yeah. Okay. Wow. Okay. That's good. That's good. A, a nice four. Okay. Not that college students are babies <laughs> because we're, let's be honest, we're not much older than them. Um, well, speak for yourself. This is a good time to segue into another goofy baby song. Let's now play Everybody Dance. Two, three, four. When you've got some gas and you're feeling fine, then it's time to poop your pants and have a party. Baby likes to dance, baby likes to party. Baby likes to poop his pants for everybody. Everybody dance, everybody poop your pants. Time to take a chance, everybody poop your pants. Throw out all your plants, everybody poop your pants. Don't think in advance, everyone just poop your pants. talk about your twitter for just one second um you're you're you have a good twitter you're one of those good you're a good tweeter (laughs) thank you you're a good tweeter on twitter (laughs) everyone follow isaac at pisac p-i-e-s-a-a-c i don't even know what to ask it's more like what inspires you to tweet like have you found community on there what do you like about twitter no i i sort of love the community on there it's sort of like it's like a little escape valve. It's like anytime I have like a stupid thought or a silly thought that like I have no outlet for, Twitter is there for me, you know, like a bad pun or like or just like a, a, an observation about something. And and it, and it is great. The, the community that that has sort of like risen up around that. Um, I mean, right now I'm thinking a lot about um, Matt Marks, who was another great Twitterer who, mm-hmm. who recently passed away and. Every time, not every time, often when I tweet now, I'm like, oh, man, like, what would he say about this? What would he think about this? I think that's one of the motivations, too, is like, you know, that if you say something like certain people are going to like have a reaction to it and respond to it in a certain way, even if it's just like, that was such a terrible pun. Why did you inflict that on me? So you have like had positive experiences with social media, which is not something everyone can say. That's true. I'm I'm very lucky in, in that I've had a, you know minimum of of harassment and and things like that which i you know i can't say for everyone that i know and everyone i've worked with particularly um in the game design world and working with uh women who are game designers they they get a lot of harassment would you say it helps your um music get out at all i think so um though i think sometimes there's um I used to do a lot more writing too, and then and, and I sort of like took a step back from that because I, I started to be I think more known for my writing than my music. Uh, so some, sometimes I think it can backfire a little bit, but I think I think on the on the whole it's been it's been positive, and, and people are you know if I post a thirty second clip of something, people people respond to that too. That's awesome. Well, let's take one more goofy baby break before the lightning round. This is inconsolable baby. <laughs> Inconsolable baby, 
just love those goofy baby songs they're so much fun to play i'm gonna have them all stuck in my head for days to come so thank you that's the that's the price you pay for... <laughs> and thanks for bringing them um but now it is time for the lightning, lightning round, round questions, questions where we ask each guest the same six questions all right uh what genre is your music electro baby non-pop <laughs> wow that's great performance ritual I've imagined this performance ritual that, that I've never experienced where um, the music is actually coming from the center of the room or the performer is situated in the middle of the room and there's speakers all around the edge of the room and everyone is just kind of chilling out and like beanbag chairs like in the middle. And it's quiet. It's not like people are talking, but it's like, you know, also, you, you know, you could like bring a book if you wanted to or something, you know, and that would be okay. You're just kind of like soaking in this music. That would be my performance ritual. Oh, I like that. Yeah. Then you take on that question. Mm-hmm. Uh, a modern tech tool that's extremely helpful to your practice. Mm. Well, there are way too many. I'm going to go with graph paper, though. I don't know if that's a tech tool. It's like but an old school tech it's tool. Like, it's like an old school Please tech tool. Please yeah. explain. Well, so, sometimes I find like the music staff stuff, like too, um, it's, it like dictates too much. And so if I'm like trying to structure something or just trying to like work out patterns or something, I'll kind of like draw the patterns out on graph paper and that'll help me. Uh, so just like those grids of squares, I'm, I'm really into that aesthetic. Um, uh, there's some artwork by uh, Ellsworth Kelly that looks kind of like this. It looks good. Mm-hmm. It's, like, it's like pixel art before pixel art existed. It's, it's pretty cool. A failure that turned out for the best. Well, I would say when I, when I first graduated, I got my doctorate from USC. USC. Right after I graduated, um, I applied to like so many different um, jobs academic jobs and just completely struck out and at, at the time I was like really frustrated and, and and depressed about that but then I think it actually turned out to be a really good thing because I ended up kind of like looking outside of my normal uh, frame of reference and that's how I ended up doing video game music um, I ended up working with a lot of like computer music research stuff with a lab that was at USC at the time uh, music computation and cognition lab run by Elaine Chu so it actually worked out great for me in the in the long run, though at the time I was like, what am I doing wrong? <laughs> Something besides music that you're obsessed with right now? Uh, my six-month-old kid. 
Felix. Mm-hmm. That's mm-hmm. good answer. Yeah. Yeah. I miss him right now. Oh, inconsolable. Um, <laughs> <laughs> sorry, could not help it. Last but not least, a piece of art that changed your life. Right now, I've been revisiting um, the books of Ursula Le Guin, who's a science fiction author who also passed recently. But there were, I'm going to name three. It's so hard to name one of her books because there's so many good ones. But The Lathe of Heaven and The Dispossessed and The Left Hand of Darkness were all like things that kind of changed the way I thought, thinking about gender and thinking about politics and even thinking about just the power of ideas and the power of imagination because she imagines these societies that are that are different than ours in sometimes subtle but significant ways. And it kind of gives you this new perspective on, on our society and our culture. And like, maybe, maybe things don't have to be this way. Maybe, um, you know, maybe some kind of change is possible. And maybe, maybe just imagination and, and ideas is a big part of that. Thanks so much, Isaac. You can find Isaac online at IsaacSankford.com or on Twitter at Pisaac. P-I-E-S-A-A-C. And definitely check out their Twitter. We'll have all of this info in the show notes for this episode, which you can view directly in your podcast app or at underscore.fm. And you can also join our closed Facebook group for underscore listeners called Underscore Society to learn more and connect with other listeners of the show. But our episode isn't over yet. As we say goodbye to Isaac Shankler, we are listening to their track, Pheromone. And in the last few minutes, Thomas and I will share our old, new, borrowed blue music picks that we are currently obsessed with. Let's share our old, new, borrowed blue picks for this week. I believe you have old. Yes, old. So I've been um, involved with this film scoring project and has been have been forced to dive in with spaghetti western music uh, this past week. And specifically, Morricone, you cannot think spaghetti western without thinking of his iconic music. I ran across this track from The Mercenary, a 1968 film, which is the iconic Morricone whistling showdown track and um, it was later used by Quentin Tarantino in Kill Bill Volume 2. And it's just cool when you hear, like, the sound. I have new this week. Okay, I am a massive Star Wars nerd, so of course I saw Solo, A Star Wars Story, the newest installment of the Star Wars franchise um, on opening night. And John Powell did the soundtrack, not John Williams. And uh, how do I put this? There was one scene in which this piece of music started playing, and I couldn't, I almost couldn't believe my ears. Um, Basically, it was... It was a song called Chicken in the Pot, which I found out later. The weirdest, funniest, most experimental and daring track I've ever heard in a Star Wars film, ever. I still don't really know what to make of it. In an interview, John Powell 
tells us that he wrote the lyrics to that song actually in Huttese, which is um, the language of Jabba the Hutt, for anyone who knows who that is. I mean, you just have to listen to this song. It's really, you can't tell if it's like two songs happening at the same time or it's very trippy. It's, it's very unexpected for a Star Wars soundtrack. I am going with something borrowed this week, and it is inspired by our guest Isaac Shangler and Isaac's new music series, People Inside Electronics. The piece um, that I first heard there was Alvin Lussier's Nothing Is Real. Alvin Lussier is an American experimental composer born in 1931 whose music often interacts with acoustic phenomenon and auditory perception. In Nothing Is Real, fragments from the Beatles song Strawberry Fields Forever are played on the piano and recorded, and then in the second half of the piece, played back through a small speaker that's inside of a teapot. The sound is then altered by the pianist by taking the lid of the teapot and putting in different positions, open, closed, partially open, and then acoustic phenomena ensues. You always have really interesting ones, Thomas. That Isaac inspired me. Props to you. And I have something blue. This, you know how when you go into your car or you your iPhone or your you know iPod or you know, whatever you play music on just randomly starts playing and then it's usually like the same song that pops up every time. So that <laughs> happened when I entered my car this week. Uh, this song started popping up and I was like, this is not one that usually comes up. Um, but it was really soothing. I found myself like it was kind of repetitive. Um, it had these like really muted percussive beats and I'm listening and I'm listening and I look at it and it was a piece called The River by indie electronic producer CFCF. And I totally forgot about this producer, but I used to really enjoy listening to their music. Um, I'm really glad this was an accidental rediscovery and that it wasn't, you know, randomly you know, I think U2 is what pops up on all phones. Yeah, why is it U2 for me? I don't, I don't ask the same question. Why can't Apple figure this out to not have the same track So play? it was The River by CFCF. So blue vibes all around. So that was our old, new, borrowed blue picks for the week. Mm-hmm. We're going to link and list all these things in the show notes if you want to take a listen for yourself later. And that does it for today's episode of Underscore, where we explore the innovative music of artists who create beyond the boundaries of classical. Thank you for joining us. You can follow us on Instagram and Twitter at underscore FM. Please follow our Facebook page at facebook.com underscore FM and even join our closed Facebook group 
for listeners like you. Once again, that special Facebook group is called Underscore Society, and it's a great place to have conversations with other open-minded, curious music lovers. If you've made it to the end of this episode, we love you. And also, we'd love for you to share this podcast with a friend who might enjoy this wild musical world as much as you and I do. Your personable recommendations really help us grow. Once again, you've been listening to Underscore. I'm Chrysanthi Tan. I'm Thomas Kotcheff. And, and we'll, we'll see, see you, you next time. time.